As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. He is Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 4th, right around 7, 10 p.m. Carlos, the Hurricanes are coming off a bye week. Uh, they're getting a Georgia Tech team that is coming off of a disappointing, let's call it, lost Bowling Green at home, a 1-3 Bowling Green team. I watched bits and pieces of that game. I had more hope for Georgia Bless Tech you. going in. Bless you. Thank you. At least you did. <laughs> I had more hope going into that game for Georgia Tech. I thought, okay, this is going to be a 3-2 and two team coming into Miami. They can score some points. Now it's kind of like, okay, they, they changed their defensive coordinator this week. Uh, they're 2-3. and three. It could be one of those emotional letdowns for a team like Miami. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to get into our mailbag. We'll talk a little bit about what Coach Cristobal, uh, Shannon Dawson, and Lance Gidry had to say this week. Uh, but I'm going to start with a question for you, Carlos, because we are coming off a of bye week, and so I'm going to throw a trivia question at you. When was the last time the Miami Hurricanes won a game coming off of a one-week bye? Off of a one-week bye? Um, Jesus. 20, was it 2017? There was no one-week buy in 2017 because Miami had their game against Arkansas State canceled, if you remember that. Uh-huh, correct. Then okay. they had a bye week, and then they played the week after that. So they did get off to a 10-0 start, but there was a three-week bye. Uh, 2017 is not the season. You want 16. one more guess? 2016. 16. That is that is correct. That is the correct answer. Miami came off of a bye in 2016, won at Georgia Tech, 35-21. to I hope this puts things into perspective, right? Going into Saturday's game when people like me and other reporters who've covered this team for a long time say, let's see these guys prove themselves coming off of a bye week. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been such a long time. And to be honest now, the team's rolling. You wanted to see them on the field and continue the streak going and, and keep getting better week to week. The bye week, I think, though, came at a good time to make sure any of these nicks, any small injuries that we have, 
don't get any worse. It allowed, I guess, I guess Cam Kitchens to get healthy enough to get back on the field. It sounds like Brandon Dean and maybe Mesidor may be back as well. So it, it comes at a good time opening up ACC play. But right now, I'm just I'm fiending for some Hurricanes football, man. I'm like Pookie in New Jack City. I'm ready to go. I'll do anything <laughs> for some Canes football right now. I won't go as far as Pookie. Pookie did some things, but I'm ready for some Canes football. Uh, yeah, I am too. I'm looking forward to Saturday night's game. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff on ACC Network. I will be there in person to see the Miami Knights <clears throat> uniforms, a new version of that. Um like I mentioned, Georgia Tech is a team coming off of a loss to Bowling Green. They're two and three. I will say this about Bowling Green. Their offense uh, can at least score some points. They've got some playmakers at the receiver position. Uh, Haynes King, the transfer from Texas A&M, <laughs> can throw the football. But uh, changing defensive coordinator, Carlos, in the middle of the season, five weeks in, is not an ideal move. Have you no. ever encountered that as a player at any point in your uh, playing days? No. Um, and I think in college football, it's it happens on occasion. You see it in the NFL on occasion as well, but it's very rare. And I think at that point, when you make a change at coordinator during the course of a season, especially early on in a season like this, after five games for Georgia Tech, you're basically throwing up the white flag and saying this side of the ball is not functioning the way it should. And, and we need something. We need a spark. And, and although you're not going to make any major changes in terms of probably your scheme, because you can't just install a new scheme for the players because they're not going to be ready to use that week to week. Uh, you're going to adjust your calls. You're going to do some things differently, but maybe the spark and the way the team is coached up on the defensive side gets you enough momentum to maybe stop the bleeding a little bit. But it's it's not a good sign, man. It's definitely not a good sign when you're switching coordinators uh, right at the start of the year, almost getting to the midpoint of the year. And and the way they've been struggling in run defense to me has been the, the big culprit as to why they've made this switch. Yeah, one of the worst rushing uh, defenses in the country. I think 126th overall, and they were definitely last in the ACC, giving up over five, I think 5.47 yards a carry. Um, Kevin Scherer, who was the linebackers coach, uh, hired this year by Brent Key as a new hire. Uh, he's He'd coached at Alabama. He'd been on staff uh, at Tennessee, was in the NFL most recently with the New York Giants. Um, he joined the staff as a co-defensive coordinator with safeties coach Andrew Thacker. Thacker's been on staff there for four or five years um, as a defensive coordinator. But uh, this is this is a, a must-needed change because they just weren't getting it done on that side of the football. Georgia Tech's most impressive win to this point is going on the road at Wake Forest a couple weeks ago, winning that game 30-16. to 16. I think they had eight sacks in that game. They've only got 11 sacks on the season. I was looking at all the pressure numbers and, and so forth. Um, so eight of their 11 sacks, I guess, were, was against Wake Forest. Mario Cristobal was asked, what do you do, right, as an offense when you're going to maybe get some new looks? Carlos, it's hard within a week for a defensive coordinator to sort of change it up completely and, and, and give all sorts of new looks to confuse an offense. Mario basically said, we're systematic. If we get a surprise, rules take over. Exactly. You, are you concerned at all that uh, Miami could be unprepared for this because you are going to have a new play caller? Well, it doesn't matter because like like Mario said, really, when you're talking about offensive line play and blocking schemes, you are taught to react to what the defense does. You can't go in there expecting to know everything the defense is going to do. Every week, there's a different wrinkle. There's different pressures. There's different fronts. There's different stunts, things you have to prepare for. And like Mario says, when you get something that you have not seen on tape, it should just be muscle memory. You should react to it by your rules, okay? And then sometimes you make those in-game adjustments halftime or on the sideline and say, okay, well, this guy's doing this. Uh, they're lining up here as opposed to there. 
and they're doing these games up front. So we need to make sure that rather than, you know, keeping this rule, we'll adjust it and say, okay, we'll, we'll do this instead of that. Um, but like you said, it's basically your scheme base. If you know you double the nose if he's in a one technique, every player in this run in this run scheme at that that nose happens to be it uh, at, at a two two technique over a guard. Now you need to adjust that scheme, but you should have a rule in place to do that. If you have a rule in place for who's in this gap or who's in this uh, this this uh, technique, you're always going to be right no matter what the defense throws at you. It's all about knowing the system and knowing how you should block things. But I think for for me, the comfort this week comes, and I, I gave you a hot take last time. I said I think they're going to score more points against Georgia Tech than they did against Temple. And, and the reason for that is because Georgia Tech is so bad against the run. And Georgia Tech is going to have to make a choice. Are they going to just sell out and try and stop Miami's run game, which has been dominant so far this season? Or are they just going to say conceded and say, screw it, we cannot defend the run. Let's make them try and work their way down the field with the run as opposed to giving up big plays in the passing game. So we'll rush three, we'll rush four. We'll try and blitz a little bit during obvious passing downs and and overload the right side on the right tackle to try and confuse the freshman and see what we can get out of that and, and create pressures that way. But we're going to concede the run and not give up big plays. But I think it's going to be Miami running it down their throat early and often because, man, look at these numbers. They gave up 175 rushing and three touchdowns to Bowling Green, 224 r- yards rushing and a touchdown to Wake Forest and a win, 251 to Old Miss and a rushing touchdown, 227 to Louisville and a rushing touchdown. And get this, South Carolina State almost had 200 yards rushing, 196 and two rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And none of these teams, for, except for maybe – Ole Miss can run the ball like Miami has this season. So Tech's in trouble. I'm telling you right now, they're going to have to either sell out and try and stop the run, which is going to leave guys open one-on-one on the back end, and TVD is going to feast, or they're going to have to concede the run and just get it hammered down their throat all game long. Well, I'm going to say this uh, for Miami. I was going to share some of these analytics a little bit later because, um, you know, all of this stuff kind of goes hand in hand, so I'll say it now. Um, I I looked it up. I was like, which way is Miami having its most success running the football? Uh, you know, PFF does a great job sort of analyzing the gap schemes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to just read this off to you in order uh, from going from left to right. This is around the left end. Miami is averaging 7.7 yards attempt running on the left end around the right end, 8.3. So outside of the tackles, uh, just, I mean, I think 43% of their rushing yardage, including 17 runs of 10 yards or more are coming on the outside. So they're killing teams with their speed right now, bouncing the ball to the outside. Um, And and that's a factor of their being able to pull their guards and tackles and their center to lead around that edge on powers and counters, which they weren't able to do before in the past. Right. Behind JV and Cohen, who's your left guard, they're averaging 8.4 yards a carry from between the the, the left guard and the left tackle between him and Jalen Rivers. Uh, if you look at the right side between Inez Cooper and your center, Matt Lee, they're averaging 8.5 yards a carry. I mean, they are just running through people. And now, obviously, some of it is the competition. But still impressive, Carlos, to have over seven and eight yards a carry into certain gaps. The area that has the smallest uh, yards per carry average is off left tackle, 4.6. They've only run off left tackle five times. Uh, but all in all, I mean – 3.62 yards after contact, that's a huge number um, where maybe they're getting hit and they're they're just continuing to sort of fall forward. And, and that's why they're one of the best rushing teams in the country right now. Yeah, like I said, I think one of the, they're one of the best rushing teams in the country because there's a good marriage between the way the offensive line 
is playing and getting to the second level, which is huge. Because before what yeah. you were seeing in the last few years is you'd have a stalemate at the line of scrimmage and there'd be no gaps for the running backs to get through. So they on their own had to make plays and bust through crowds to get three, four, five yards, which was very difficult to gain. Now you're getting some push on that offensive line. You're, beat, you're able to pull guys and get to that next level. You're seeing the reasons why you got that large number between the guard and center is because they're being effective with an inside zone. And that comes with being very strong at the guard and center positions where you're able to get that push inside and uh, and move guys back. So the, the reason why they're getting so many yards and why that number of uh, yards after contact is so high is because these guys are actually getting one or two or three yards downfield before they're touched, which yeah. helps because now you've got more momentum coming downfield. And once you make contact with them, it's harder to bring them down. So I think the marriage between the way the running backs are seeing the scheme and running the ball and the way the offensive line is blocking has is, is worked really well this season. There's still room for improvement. Ben, ben, I, I'm excited about it. I haven't seen it like this in years. Yards after contact last year as a team, Miami was 2.75. OK, uh, off of left guard where they're averaging, I said, 8.4, uh, 3.9 for carry. Uh, middle right where they're averaging, I think, 8.5, 6.4. Well, they did run the ball well off of uh, the center and between the right guard last year. And as Cooper did play four games last year, and I think he did help in that regard. But yeah. still, I mean, this is uh, running certainly to a different different level entirely. And, and obviously, the running backs have something to do with that, right? I mean, you got Mark Fletcher now. There's much more depth at the position. Uh, so kudos to Miami for becoming one of the better dominant run teams in the country. Now, of course, though, after Georgia Tech, we'll start to see what they can do when the level of competition rises. North Carolina on the road. I'm going to that game up in Chapel Hill. Then Clemson comes to town, and you could argue Clemson has – uh, the best defense uh, front in, in the ACC for sure. Um, they do a good job slowing teams down, did a good job against Syracuse this past weekend to beat them. Carlos, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff Cristobal, Shannon Dawson, Lance Guidry said, uh, but I've got, I want to share some, some, some little tidbits here heading into this game. Obviously I mentioned the, the, the all black Miami night uniforms, a lot of recruits going to be on hand for Miami, which is certainly the case now quite frequently. Uh, during the season, Jeremiah Smith, of course, the Ohio State commitment and the top receiver in the country. He will be there. Nye Carr, who is uh, a four star receiver, top 100 recruit out of the Georgia area, was committed to Georgia. It's supposed to be coming down this weekend. I think today he got crystal balled to pick Miami by some national recruiting pundits at 247. So uh, Canes look to be in a very strong position here with recruits, especially the way that they're playing right now to land some more commitments and continue to build momentum. Uh, I know from, uh, you know, their defensive line still remains a big need for them. And there's something they're still trying to address. Uh, we will see if they're able to uh, reel in a guy like an LJ McCray, who's who's one of the best in the country from, from here in state of Daytona Beach, mainland. So uh, all of that kind of stuff will be interesting to watch in the months leading up to National Signing Day in December in the early signing period. But for right now, Mario and company are doing their job. They're, they're showing proof of concept to these recruits that, hey, uh, we said we were going to play young guys. We are playing young guys and we're winning with young guys. Yeah, absolutely. He's like uh, the witch in Hansel and Gretel. He's like attracting him with the little candies. Hey, come in my house. This is really <laughs> nice. Look, I got a, you want a candy cane? Here, here you go, kids. Before you know, you're in the pot and it's too late, baby. You're yeah. on board. Let's go. Mario's yeah. doing his thing, and it's it's going to be an exciting environment. It's a night game, black uniforms. Thankfully, after uh, the atrocity of last season, we didn't get to wear any different uniform combinations last year because they just weren't deserving of it on the field. Uh, Mario decided to blow, blow, bust them out this uh, this weekend, 
it's going to be a loud environment, I'm sure, against Georgia Tech. It's just poor timing for Georgia Tech. And just like we talk about, you know, week to week, matchups matter. Yep. And this matchup for Georgia Tech is not good. It's, it's not. really their areas of strength are not any anything that, that gives Miami pause or concern. And their areas of weakness are just right up Miami's alley. And it's just things that they're going to be able to take advantage of. So it's I think the recruits are going to get a great show. I think the environment is going to be good. Uh, I think the the fans will show up. I think it'll be loud. Night games usually are at Hard Rock. Um, you know, it's it's because if people get a little sauced up throughout the day. You know, the tailgate <laughs> the gates open usually like five hours if you've got the blue pass or whatever it is. Then yeah. four hours. But most people for a night game, you know, they, they wake up and it's hey a little a little rum in that cafecito in the morning gets yep. you going, and then by the time you hit the stadium, you're already lit up. <laughs> Well, it's going to be not, a that fun... I, not that I know from experience. Not, not that, that you know, know, not that you know no, at all. I've never done. That. Um, it's going to be a good day for ACC football. Virginia Tech uh, is playing at Florida State. Uh, I know Virginia Tech's record isn't great; they're two and three, but they are coming off a win over Pittsburgh at home. It looks like the change at quarterback for the Hokies uh, drones the transfer that they got from uh, I think it was from uh, Baylor. Um, he played really well in this last game, and they were able to score some points on uh, on Pitt. And get a win. So we'll see if they I think they're 24 point underdogs going into that game at FSU. Um, Syracuse, who, who is coming off their loss at home to Clemson, is on the road at North Carolina. So if you want to watch what Miami's next opponent looks like, tune in at 3:30 on ESPN. You can flip between that and the FSU game. Uh Carolina, um, you know, they're number 14 in the country right now. I uh, I did the power rankings with Grace Rayner, uh, who who had covered Clemson for many years for us at the Athletic, and uh, we flip flopped Miami and North Carolina this week. She made North Carolina number two, and uh, and I picked them number three. I had the first pick, I went with FSU, and she had the second pick, went with Carolina. I'm gonna say this: I think it's good that Miami is sort of ranked behind Carolina. There's a little sort of extra motivation, right? Uh, when, when you play these head games, hey, they don't respect us. And, you know, we've lost to them four times in a row and blah, blah, blah. Give them a little. I, I I wouldn't want Miami, if you're a Miami fan, to be ranked ahead of Carolina going into that game. You kind of like yeah, the underdog. I mean, if you beat them, then it raises your profile even more. It shows, listen, yeah. we've now two ranked opponents, two people that are ranked ahead of us because, you know, A&M was ranked and we weren't when we played them. Uh, mm -hmm. Beating a, a higher ranked North Carolina team, you're moving into the season with two ACC wins. You've got still Clemson ahead of you. You got Florida State ahead of you. It could raise your national profile. And hey, watch out, man! If they if they beat Clemson and Florida State, who knows what happens? There's they could make a run at the at the playoff. Oh, for sure. If Miami ends up undefeated, I, I'm pretty convinced they will they will be one of the four best teams in the country. Um, a couple more games. Wake Forest, who's three and one, coming off that uh, bye week and lost to Georgia Tech. They play at Clemson. So if you want an early peek at Clemson two weeks from now, tune into that one at ACC Network. And then the night game, along with Miami, Notre Dame at Louisville. Louisville's undefeated and ranked 25th now. Louisville will be coming to Miami later this year in November, right after FSU, actually, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll and be. you want Louisville to win that game, not just because you hate Notre Dame. We all hate Notre Dame. Notre <laughs> Dame is the bane of everybody's existence. Okay? Yeah. I hate Rudy. I, I, now the movie's stupid. I don't like that little kid. <laughs> he, he, how are you going to have the guy from Lord of the Rings uh, suiting up and playing for Notre Dame? Get out of here. Listen, I'd rather see Gollum in a Notre Dame uniform than that guy, Frodo. Um, it was a Frodo. It was the other dude. Sam, whatever yeah, his name Sam. is. Sam, yeah. Yeah, huh? you're a little Lord of the Rings nerd. See? Hey, I, nah, I just unearthed you. I, I just uncovered you now. No, no, no. I'm not a, a nerd at all. I just happen to remember that uh, that one character. So, so uh, yeah. So, uh, other than that, 
you know, because Louisville is on the schedule and, you know, they're ranked now, you want Louisville's profile to be as high as possible when you play them. So if they yeah. are undefeated, if they are ranked highly and you beat them, that also helps to raise your profile. So although I said if they beat Clemson and Florida State, they have a shot at the playoff and you're assuming they're going to win undefeated, man, let's not sleep on Louisville. No, I mean, this is and, and listen, I normally don't want to talk about other teams when we're doing a wide right podcast, but, you know, you're in the ACC race. So you got to, you know, to me. Well, now that Miami's actually in contention to win this thing and, and people are talking about them as, you know, a, a potential sleeper for, to make the playoff this year, I think you got to start paying attention to the competition. I think in years past, right, we were just like, oh, Miami just has to get better. They lost to Middle Tennessee State. They lost to Duke. They lost to this. No, now now you can actually focus a little bit on some other teams and what they're doing, because this is the first year without divisions in the ACC. And it's going to make it's going to be interesting. The tiebreakers are going to be interesting at the end of the year um, if Miami doesn't go perfect. So uh, and who knows? I mean, listen, I, I was talking about them going to seven five uh, a month ago. Now now we're talking about them being four and oh and maybe running the table. So things change quickly. Carlos. um, I don't want to spend much more time on Georgia Tech, so just want to mention some of the injuries and and guys returning, etc. Cam Kitchens will be back this week for Miami, which is big. Uh, kind of what we all thought all along, right? That Mario was going to keep him out and bring him back for the conference play. Uh, still no official word on Akeem Mesador or Branson Dean or even Elijah Arroyo as far as for sure coming back. But Arroyo, uh, Cristobal did say Arroyo is getting closer. Um, I tend to think Miami can win this week without uh, Mesador or Dean. Um, you know, it's not like it's a must. They got to have those guys back. But if they could get them back from North Carolina, I think that would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, it, it's it's really about the long game now. I don't think you need those guys to beat Georgia Tech. I don't think you need them to, to slow Georgia Tech's run game down to begin with because their run game is very good. You know, Georgia Tech lives and dies uh, in the air. That's how they get the, the explosive plays and score the points. The issue is... They've got Haynes King at quarterback. That guy can be pretty erratic uh, in terms of his accuracy. He could throw it to the other team. He's done a really good job this year, but I don't think he's faced a secondary in a defense like Miami's yet. So we'll see. But I think Miami can sustain not having those guys for now uh, and let them get healthy and get ready for the uh, the real meat of the schedule, especially against North Carolina. And that's something, an advantage that they have this season that they haven't had in the past. In years past, because the depth wasn't great, you would probably force those guys into action a little sooner than you wanted to yeah. just because you needed them on the field. Yeah, and now they don't necessarily have to do that. Um, Mario mentioned six to eight more players he thinks will start to get some more playing time. Um, guys who have played a lot on special teams. One of them, obviously, here is Jaden Harris, uh, who started the two games that Cam Kitchens was out. Mario said he's now as dependable as any player. So that's a good sign for Miami because I felt safety, you know, between James Williams and, and Cam Kitchens, there was a little bit of a concern, right? Who do you, yeah. Who's the number three guy? Um, now it seems pretty evident that Jaden Harris is trusted by this coaching staff to come in and be that guy. Um, a couple of other names that Mario mentioned on Monday, Matt McCoy, who we've told you guys about is probably the sixth offensive lineman, Ryan Rodriguez, uh, who's Mario mentioned today. He was coming off an Achilles injury last year. That's why he ended oh, up missing last wow. season. So Ryan Rodriguez is the backup center. Uh, Riley Williams, the tight end, Thomas Gore, the defensive lineman from Georgia State, who's kind of been sprinkled in there, but has made some some pretty big, impactful plays. Jake Lichtenstein, of course, who's he's in his 14th season um, in college football now, another one who's been around a long time. And then Jared Harrison Hunt and Jaden Wayne. Those were the eight names. Harrison Hunt has obviously been a starter, uh, but the way he said that 
Carlos makes me think, has me a little worried in some regards because Miami has lost some guys on the offensive and defensive line. Let's not forget Matt Lee didn't come back into the game against Temple. He's your starting center. Javian Cohen, uh, you know, has been in and out at times and he did get dinged up in the spring game. Uh, when a coach says, hey, we got six to eight more guys, do you take him at his word or are you, are you concerned at all that maybe there's some some regulars that are banged up? At this stage, everybody's going to be banged up, right? You're always going to have a few injuries here and there. But as long as you're not being reported as being out or having major injuries, I think they'll be fine. I think they could sustain it, even if they do have a couple injuries that are a little more serious than Mario's letting on. But at the end of the day, it's college football, man. And and there's going to be guys missing time. There's going to be guys that are nicked up that have to play through pain. They can't be 100% on their own field. The good news is that there seems to be a little bit more depth than they're used to. Um, at least at the guard and tackle spot. And I think any drop-off from Matt Lee is going to be big, but I think you can maybe get away with a game here or there, some snaps here or there uh, at the guard and tackle spots with the guys you have behind them. Obviously, it's going to be a drop-off in play, but it's not a huge chasm like you would see at center. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Shannon Dawson said that A.J. Allen could have played against Temple. So it doesn't necessarily look like it was an injury that forced him out of that game. The fact that he didn't he didn't get in there at all for any stop, snaps. It might have just been, hey, Mark Fletcher's back. He's healthy. And we're going with Don Chaney and, and uh, Henry Parrish and these other guys. So we'll see what happens at the running back position. Mario did mention Trevante Citizen uh, is working his way back as well, along with Arroyo. Uh, again, no timeline, definite timeline for when these guys will be back. But those are topics that came up this week. Carlos, before we get to our mailbag, I wanted to get into a couple of analytics. I already mentioned, uh, you know, Miami's running game and, and how impressive that's been. But really the secret to this all, uh, Carlos, and, and we've talked about it on the last show, is tackling. Um, and it, it's not just tackling, uh, you know, on the defensive side, but making guys miss. And so I, I spent some time this week putting together a chart for missed tackles. Uh, and I might have created a new statistic for the world here, Okay. Uh, differential between tackles missed on defense versus tackles forced, right? So who does the best job in the ACC tackling and forcing missed tackles? Who do you think that is? So you're saying the plus minus of, yes, uh, of tackles. Rev tackles. Okay. So there you go. Now you call that tackles plus minus. You've invented that <laughs> trademark. I know an attorney that can help you with that. Anyway, I'm going to say maybe it's Miami. That is correct. And the differential is really impressive. Uh, what I did was I came up with the averaged missed tackles for their games. Miami has the lowest missed tackle average in the ACC, 5.5. Wake Forest, the most missed tackles, 15.7. So it shows you the scale, right? Uh, in term, And then in terms of forcing missed tackles, uh, Miami's forced 15.75 uh, missed tackles a game. The differential is 10.25, which gives them the biggest differential in the ACC. Syracuse is second, uh, 9.2 differential. So shows you the importance of tackling. Syracuse has obviously had a pretty good start to their season. They're 4-1, and one, um, and, they're, and the reason is because they're pretty good on defense, and they're pretty good at forcing teams to miss tackles and then wrapping up on their side of the ball. 
Good stat, bad stat, interesting stat. What do you think of it? That's a great stat. It is a great stat. And I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you we're going to copyright that. We're going to trademark (laughs) it and we're going to make some money off of that. Um, But I think people, you you get so wrapped up in the, the, the schemes and, you know, how explosive offenses are and what they look like and what defenses are doing in terms of their blitz pressures and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, football is a very simple game. It's it's blocking and it's tackling, like you've said. If you can't do those basic things, if you can't block and tackle, you're not going to go very far in that game. You can even get away with not being able to throw the ball or catch the ball. If you can block and tackle, if you can turn around and hand the football to someone and you're able to block, guess what? You're going to gain yardage, you're going to score points. Defensively, the same thing. You may not be able to cover that well, but if you can tackle the football, if you could stop guys right when you make contact and not give up unnecessary yardage, you're going to make it difficult for the offense and give yourself more opportunities for them to make mistakes and turn the ball over. So that's an incredible stat. Great job. Kudos to you, my friend. Uh, I tip my hat, but I don't want to show my my freshly shaven head. All right. Well, listen, I'll say this. Uh, Lance Guidry was asked about why Miami is such an improved team in tackling this week. Uh, My former colleague at the Miami Herald, Susan Miller-Degnan, asked him that question. Uh, he said, look, they're they're playing with much more speed. And 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 in between drills, he says that helps improve the tackling. Uh, because guys have to sort of stay with it, right? And maybe they're not they're not uh you know uh getting a, a long break between plays, which allows them to stay fresh. Like in other words, you're having to do it while you're tired. And so I think uh while guys aren't necessarily going to the ground and practice all the time, uh it it helps keeping that pace is very similar to the game, right? When offenses try to play fast and that's what Georgia tech's going to do this week. And so that's helped improve something uh, with the defense. Um, it, also ha- it also helps because they're getting more reps in yeah. the more reps you get in, the more things are ingrained in your mind and the more your, your technique is set in stone. Yep. Something else that Miami is really good at this year that we didn't talk about last week. Uh, they've only turned the ball over three times, Carlos all season, which is tied for fifth fewest in the country. Uh, Shannon Dawson said uh, when players have ball security issues in practice, they get pictures sent to them via the phone. So in other words, the staff is looking at this during practice and taking photos of it and saying, hey, you're not holding the ball right here. You're not protecting it the way that you need to. So maybe this happens in other places around the country, but it's the first time I've ever heard that at Miami. Yeah, and it's um, it, the, the way that was phrased, I hope you phrase it a little bit differently because that could come off very poorly. If you don't secure your balls well, we take pictures of it. I don't know how that will play in the national media. Well, you know what I meant, uh, the football, Carlos, the football. Yes, the okay, yeah, they, right, 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 of course, of course. Yes, Either way, football. you got secu- to secure them all, right? <laughs> I love having you on the show with me, brother. You always make me laugh. All right, let's uh, let's get to the mailbag because we had some interesting questions, some that I already jotted down uh, into my little cheat sheet here of notes. I'm going to go to one, um, a couple actually, that were sent after I put this together. This is from Tyler Overly on Twitter. With the draft uh, eligible... QB class so deep this year. What are the chances Tyler Van Dyke returns next year? Also, what's the best tres leches in Miami needed for my wedding next year? Do you want to start with the tres leches? Wow, tres leches. Um, that's a difficult one, man. Versailles has a very good one, so I would say check Versailles. They got that little bakery on the side with the yeah, yeah. They yeah. got a really good tres leches. Uh, who else has has a really good tres leches? I wouldn't um, I wouldn't necessarily suggest like a red. You know who has one that's pretty good is Publix, believe it or not. I've had it's it's not bad. It's pretty it's, good, but it's but pretty it's good. Not, it's not better size quality. I would go number no. one, I'd go I'd go Bird Sires. Yeah. 
Uh, what do you? What about TVD? What are the chances he returns? I'm yeah. gonna answer this. I, I'm gonna say none because yeah. I think I think it's pretty evident uh, that if he was healthy last year, he probably would have gone pro. So yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think there's, there's a fantasy going around now on Twitter that they're gonna bring back James Williams, Cam Kitchens, uh, TVD. All the draft eligible guys are gonna decide to come back to win a national title and forego money. But you know, maybe you get a couple of those guys to come back, but I don't see TVD being one of them. I I, I agree. Um, this is from Jason uh, J J Cord fifty seven on Twitter. Is anyone still cautious, cautiously optimistic going into Georgia Tech? Will a thorough beating of the Jackets prove Miami has turned the corner with regard to culture and focus? Well, Jason, I think I sort of answered this at the very, very beginning, right? With the question that I asked Carlos, when was the last time Miami won a game coming off a one beat one week by? I'm not talking about, you know, the, the gap between the bowl games. I'm talking about any seasons when a game got canceled and they had a couple of weeks or COVID, right? And you remember in the 2020 season, they had a long gap between games because of COVID cancellations. Uh, one week where you're in the middle of the season, everything is normal. Miami has not won a game off of a bye week since 2016. So yes, I am still cautiously optimistic going into this game because I, I've just seen a team that too many times loses focus. Do I expect Miami to do that this time around? No, not at all. I think the Hurricanes are going to go out there and pound the Yellow Jackets. But I also am not going to sit here and say, there's not hair standing up in the back of my neck going into Saturday night's game wondering, man, are, is this another one of those games where they just forget to show up? Yeah, it's, it's like we said, we've got PTSD for the last 20 years. We've seen this go on um, for years and years and years. We've seen Miami start off well and then end up losing a uh, an ACC game they should not have lost, dropping a game here and there. Usually there's a tailspin after a loss to Florida State. That's what we've seen in the past. But sometimes these little uh, these unexpected losses creep up here and there. But I don't think they're going to lose this Saturday. I think they're going to be in control. Does that give me enough confidence to say that they're going to run the table? They're going to be competing for the ACC championship just yet? and that the culture's completely turned around. I would say the culture, you could already tell the culture has turned around, and I think getting this victory and big, having a big win is going to help cement that a little bit. But in terms of taking that next step, I need to see more moving forward and against bigger and better opponents. That Carolina game, to me, is the one. That's the one where you say if they win, and if they win convincingly, then you turn around and say, okay, now this is a different program. Now they're going in a different direction. And back to the Teres Leches question, I forgot one, Havana Harry's has some pretty good – they have three, four, and cinco leches. That's true. I forgot about uh, Havana Harry's, uh, but yes, that's a good good choice there, Carlos. Um, all right, let's get to the rest of the mailbag. This team doesn't seem to be taking any teams lightly. Do you feel they can continue that mindset as they have historically dropped one coming off of a bye week? We just addressed this. This yeah. is from Renton RC. Um, no, I, I will say this to add to, to the whole point of this. I asked TVD. Uh, in in the uh, press conference this week via Zoom, um, what did you guys do during the bye week? Right, like what what was the? Did you guys have any fun? Did you? He said, yeah, we went to uh, to uh, putt shack. <laughs> went and played mini golf. There was no uh, no wildness. And and look, in the end, who knows what these guys really did? But as a team, uh, they're still sort of going through activities, but nothing crazy. There was no you know going out on boats going to uh you know any any sort of activity it seemed that was uh, too outrageous yeah the, the the Calvin Harris days of going to the Rolex on uh, on off weeks or right after or practice are done I don't think <laughs> one because the Rolex closed and I think Coco's I'm not sure if that is open anymore either but uh those days are long gone these aren't these kind those kinds of kids 
All right. This is there's two questions here. Uh, first one is Frank Ladson still on the team. This is from Frankel Anton. And the second one is who would you like to see on the schedule for a non-conference game? Uh, Frank uh, Ladson still is on the team, Franco. Um, I know that he's gotten uh, very limited snaps. I've seen him uh, out there uh, on the field. I always check to see who's there before the game. Uh, as far as I'm, I know, he is still on the team. And really, there's nowhere else for him to go. I think he's out of eligibility at this point. Um, this is his final year, so write it out. Yeah, and as far as um, who I'd like to see on the schedule for like a non-conference game, to me, it's it has to be a team that you don't play very often or a team you haven't played in a very long time, um, and that brings some sort of uh, interest to the rivalry of that of that particular game. I'd like to see a game against Texas. I think that they're both very similar programs in terms of their history, their dynasty, and how they've fallen off and are now trying to work their back way their way back up into national prominence. Of course, USC would be a great one because it, it'd be that that cross uh, coast rivalry uh, against programs with similar uh, feels to them, um, and maybe a, a more traditional SEC power that you really don't play that often, like an Auburn, uh, maybe an Ole Miss, something like that. Well, Miami already does have Auburn on the schedule, by the way. True. Um, in True. terms of uh, future opponents, they're getting South Carolina. Um, I'm looking here at the future schedule just so that I can I can mention some future opponents. Um, yeah, South Carolina in 27 and 26, and then um, Florida. Obviously, the next two years they'll they'll get the Gators, Auburn in 29 and 30, and then they got Notre Dame uh, several times uh, over the next few seasons. I think 26, 25 and 26, they've got Notre Dame. I'd like to see it home and home with Ole Miss. So we can go to Ole Miss and, and check out what is considered the greatest tailgate in all of college <laughs> football in the growth. Yeah, that would be, that would be a lot of fun. Honestly, I, I, I'm, you know, it's really interesting, Carlos, because we don't know what's going to happen with college football now going to this 12 team playoff. Um, and the ACC obviously has added three teams, uh, in Stanford, Cal and SMU. And, uh, they're going to be at 17 teams to start the 2024 season. Does that mean that they go up from eight to nine conference games to try to, you know, sell more uh, of a TV package? I, I'm not sure. I think those are uh, decisions that still have to be made. And, and ultimately money is what rules the day. So uh, if they cut the non-conference schedule by one, be interesting to see if they if we ever do get too many great matchups going forward and and what the Big Ten decides to do. You know, USC is joining the Big Ten next year. Texas is uh, joining the SEC. So those teams are on the move. We'll see what those conferences do because they're expanding as well. Yeah, and I think you're you're because they're expanding the playoff to twelve. You you could still see that opportunity to have some of those you know one big non conference matchup a year, just because teams with two losses and and because of these super conference maybe in three can sneak into a playoff depending on who they've lost and who they've beaten. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. And I think the ACC eventually is going to add an 18th team. I think the hope is they're, they're still holding that 18th spot for Notre Dame, that they could somehow drag Notre Dame out of the independence and bring them into their conference. And if they don't do that, then I think the other one, the other team that makes sense to me from an academic standpoint um, and a geographical standpoint would be Baylor because they've been pretty good in the Big 12 the last few years. They're a little down this year, but they're a great academic institution. They're also in Texas. And it'll give you two teams in Texas with SMU and Baylor, and then you'll have two teams in California with Stanford and Cal. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's uh, you know, plenty of scuttlebutt that FSU and Clemson still want out that they want to get into another conference, and we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Um, this is from Gary's guys on Twitter. Manny, help me out here. I'm having a hard time convincing myself this isn't a top 10 team if they stay healthy. Am I a hopeless romantic? Well, you may be a hopeless romantic. Do you like the notebook? <laughs> if you said yes, then you definitely are. Do you watch Titanic and pretend that you are Jack holding Rose at the front of the boat, even though she's going to abandon you and not allow you onto that that door at the end of the movie where she had plenty of room? This is again, I'm getting back to this because this really upsets me. There was plenty of room on the door for Jack, and Rose refused to put him on there because she knew she had the diamond or whatever the stone was, and and she wanted to keep it all for herself. She didn't love Jack. She just loved that money. Anyway, moving forward. Um, listen, man, I see it too. I, I think they've got the talent to do it. If they stay healthy, if they don't have any major injuries at the wrong spots, they could be a top 10 team. You know, even with two losses, it could be close to that top 10 ranking, maybe a 12 or 13. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately here, uh, is this a playoff team? And and we'll find out after Georgia Tech. I think those back-to-back games against Carolina and Clemson will be the ultimate test. You pass those, uh, teams then to me they're without question a top 10 team uh you know if, if you if you get through both of those opponents unscathed uh i think they will be in the top 10 at that point all right this is from andrew v underscore 17 have you heard anything on when they will break ground on the new football complex uh radikovich miami's athletic director said a few months ago the plan was in the fall it's the same thing i heard uh, from somebody else at miami that it would be around this time october november I don't know. I haven't been down there and looked to see what kind of construction is taking place in terms of actual building. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, pieces to move around there. And this is a three to four year project before it's even going to get done. So uh, I would tell you that I anticipate whenever it gets started, there will probably be some sort of alert or message sent out from the University of Miami because this is a big project for them. And as far as I know, there's been no delays. I've got nothing Uh, on that. You got nothing to say. All right. Um, here we go. Most of us believe this is a long take here from Jake Campbell. Oh god, let me let me let me get ready for this. Most of us believe Miami is a year ahead with the way they're currently playing. What are the chances they can get most of these current realistic draftable players to return next year? TVD, Cam Kitchens, Matt Lee, <clears throat> Javian Cohen. Next year the schedule gets lighter, playoff expands. Yes, I know I'm jumping way ahead but just can't help to think what another year of recruiting in this system, player development, et cetera, would do. Cause I don't think any of us believe they're running the table in 2023, but 2024 when the cover is just about full, maybe uh, Carlos should Miami fans have any, I mean, we, we touched on this a few minutes ago, but should they have any belief that uh, there's a shot at some of these guys coming back? I, I My answer would be, Maybe if they're not first round picks, if they're not first round picks, yes. Uh, If they're anywhere close to that, even if they're second round picks, I would assume second or third round picks, I would assume they're gone. And and we'll find out as, as we get closer and closer to the end of the year, when people start doing, you know, these draft projections and so forth um, where these guys really are. But I, I, I think one thing people have to remember here is it's these guys dream to go to the NFL. And while it would be awesome to come back and have the kind of team that can win a national championship in 2024, I think Mario has been pretty honest that this is still a team that has a lot of holes in terms of depth. We've talked about this, you and me, many times on this podcast. 
Um, this isn't the kind of team that can sustain many injuries and keep playing like a 4-0 team like they've played here. So um, I think to win a championship, to be somebody who really is in the hunt for a title, I still think they're probably two years away. Yeah, and you know what kind of an impact would it have if some of these guys that are going to be maybe projected to be second or third round picks decide to stay on recruiting? Because some of these younger guys that they're trying to come bring bring in that are you know five four star guys that could possibly play right away at other programs, they're gonna might be backlogged a year now uh, and not get on the field as early as they'd like to. But I mean, at the end of the day, the more talent you have, the better. And I think if you could keep at least half of the guys that are draft eligible on your roster, and then you could try and supplement that with recruits and the transfer portal to try and make up some of the difference. And I think that's the game changer with the transfer portal. When you lose experienced guys, you can replace them with other experienced guys, guys that you could plug and play that maybe if they're not starters or frontline guys could at least be rotation guys to help some of those younger guys come along. You said at the end of the day. I said it like three times today, and, and, I'm, and I'm ashamed of myself. You know, it was a rough outing today, but, but I'll take it. Some days, you're, some days you're the hammer, some days you're the nail. That's all it is at the end of the day. Last question. If we do not see him take over in upcoming games versus Clemson and North Carolina, is it time for us to stop lying about Leonard Taylor? This is from J.K. Slay. Wow. It was a harsh stop Leonard Taylor. Stop lying player. about Leonard Taylor. Wow. Uh, those are harsh words. But I, I'd say I don't know that you, you were lying about Leonard Taylor. I think the, uh, the, the, the talent is obviously there. He's flashed it. The problem is it's not consistent enough. And I think over three years and now four games, you've seen – that's the story. It's he's a guy that can play really well in spurts, um, can make plays, but it's not there playing and play out. And he's he hasn't really come out and had one game where he's been completely dominant, where he's been a force where the other team's offense has had to reckon with and say, Wow, this guy's just destroying our game plan. He hasn't had a to me a Gerald Willis type game or Gerald Gerald Willis type string of games just yet. Uh according to Pro Football Focus, and this is just power five interior defensive linemen. He ranks 11th, okay? And this is guys who have played a group out of – who's played a minimum of 20% of 314 snaps. So let's go to the let's go to the second page of this list. He's 11th out of 275 power five defensive tackles. Um, look, he hasn't made huge plays, but it's it, – I would say this for Leonard Taylor. Don't give up on him yet. He's no. got he's got gifts, and I think if he does show up in those games, Miami's probably winning. And you're probably saying to yourself, "Yeah, that guy really is a five star." And like we said, it's you you bring up a great point not to give up on him yet because remember there are it took Greg Rousseau how many games not only to get on the field but get warmed up and become the dominant force that he was. It took Jalen Phillips a few games also the year that he had a dominant year to get mm -hmm. going and, and really start piling up stats and making an impact. Sometimes it just takes guys a little bit to to figure it out. And sometimes the level of competition, once that level of competition rises, their play rises. So who knows? Maybe now that the ACC schedule starts, Leonard Taylor takes it to a different level. Here's here's a really good stat for you. Uh, among all of those defensive tackles, he's tied for third in creating pressure with 15. He's played 100 snaps. The three guys he's either tied with or ahead of him, which are Bear Alexander from USC, Deion Walker from Kentucky, and Jerzon Newton from Illinois. 237, 251, and 313 snaps. Leonard Taylor's played 100. Just saying. And he's got 15 pressures playing 100 snaps. It's 
give them some time. Let's see what happens. Maybe those big plays are coming. That's going to wrap it up for this week's Wide Right episode. Carlos, make sure uh, to follow him at the MIA All Day podcast. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this one. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, click the subscribe button. Uh, make sure to follow us wherever you download your podcast. As Hit well. the like button there on YouTube. Or comment. A lot, of you, a lot of you love to comment, whether it be about the podcast or my goatee, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> They do give you a lot of shit over your goatee, Carlos. Yeah, there's uh, one dude that's like obsessed with it. I do not know why a man goes on to a podcast, <laughs> a YouTube channel of a podcast weekly to comment about some other man's facial hair. That is disturbing and hilarious at the same time. Keep it coming. I mean, I like it. Yeah, you do. You do. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to this week's Wide Right. We will be back next week. See you later. Peace.